Hello friends, it's Jim Nance and it's my great pleasure to welcome you to Beyond the Clubhouse, a podcast hosted by my friend Garrett Johnston. He is a testament to one of the great things about this sport, the friendships that come from playing or even just talking about the game. And you're going to meet some of the characters that Garrett has gotten to know from this past decade plus that he's been covering the sport. You're going to hear from players, caddies, members of the media. You're going to get the storytelling, the golf news, the players' swing tips, and a whole lot of laughs. It's coming your way with this edition of Beyond the Clubhouse. Here's Garrett. All right, Gary, player on the podcast this week. you got to be wondering, how did this come about, right? Well, this is supposed to be five minutes interview with the nine-time major champion and the unbelievable golf ambassador, most traveled man in the world. He takes so much pride in that. But this came about, it was supposed to be five minutes. I showed up late uh, to the New York event. It was the Aramco Team Series women's event, if you remember, in the middle of October. A ton of the LPGA Tour stars were paired up with ladies European Tour players, and it took place in Long Island, New York, at Glen Oaks Golf Club. So anyway, I show up, I, I'm at the course, I have no food in my system, and next thing I know, Gary Player's available. Hey, Kate, he's about to leave. I'm finding out from the PR people at the tournament, uh, you got five minutes, you want to do that? I'm like, uh, yeah, Gary Player, let's do this. But I, literally, I had to rally. I had nothing <laughs> to work with, no script, nothing. Maybe that's what you need, right? So we go into the interview, and I'm thinking, you know what? Yes, this is five minutes, but we, we got to stretch this out. Ended up being 30 minutes, and I'll tell you, the key to that was just getting him to talk about things he's passionate about, right? So, of course, he gets into quite a few topics, right, about world hunger, about Winston Churchill, but also steering him. The key was trying, okay, acknowledging that he loves those topics, but let's let's talk about history and Churchill. No, get, yeah, let's talk about history at places like the Masters, and let's talk about what players uh, that, that you've seen at the Masters that impressed you the most, and, and just finding transitions. I think that was the big key, the big challenge in, in talking to Gary, um, keeping him going here for 30 minutes. I will tell you this, though, looking him in the eye, it's hard to believe the guy's 86 with his energy levels right now. I mean, he's just, it's pretty funny. So anyway, it was really engaging talking to him. Hope you guys enjoyed it. And before we get to that, let's go to Encore Golf. Check them out, EncoreGolf.com. The, specifically, the Avant 55, their award-winning, super soft, low-compression distance golf ball. Uh, features low spin rates off the driver for long and accurate tee shots and a soft Serling cover. Two-piece construction allows for high-launching wedge shots with a very soft feel around the greens and off the putter face. I mean, that's what we really need around the greens as we're practicing on the golf course. So check out EncoreGolf.com. And you can use my promo code B, letter B, Clubhouse for 10% off at EncoreGolf.com. Here's Gary Player. And just for clarity to set the scene, the first question I ask here is about him being part of the Team Series event, the Aramco Team Series, and being an ambassador for Golf Saudi. So that gets us started here, uh, and we'll get to it here on Beyond the Clubhouse. So I wanted to ask you, obviously women's golf, you're such, such a champion of that. This event, how fulfilling is it for you to be a part of this series here? Well, it's very encouraging, and you know my role. I don't get involved in the, the politics of, as such, but uh, to really promote women's golf and to promote golf in Saudi Arabia is a thrill for me. Because if you go back, there were probably 25 ladies in the entire country playing golf. Now there are thousands. So having a tournament like this there is really going to get young women, and that's what I'm so interested in, is to see young women. Today, drugs are a big issue, not in Saudi, but in the Western world. We so we don't really have law and order in the Western world, as so to speak. So drugs are a very prevalent 
thing and a very nasty thing. So we need all young guys, young girls, and young men for that matter, to play golf. Um, these women, I think people are so naive of the fact that they don't really realize how well the women play. They play extremely well. They better partners in pro-ams. Men prefer to play with them, obviously. They get a nice letter of thanks. They're very kind and sweet when you're playing. They appreciate you playing. So all in all, and I tell you what, their golf is getting so good now. I watched the Solheim Cup this year. I never sit and watch the entirety of a golf tournament. But I watched that Solheim Cup from beginning to end. It was so exciting. And that should encourage a lot of This is what we need, young girls to see this and to have programs. But you need money for these things. And now with these the series that you're having, Hong Kong, Spain, Britain, America, and you need some more in other parts of the world. Uh, it's very, very encouraging to see that. And it's also good for the economy because... You know, people see an event being played somewhere. They were naive of the, the of the country. They very kindly on television always show some of the advantages of visiting a country. So it helps the economy. All in all, it's a, a tremendous asset, golf. And I think that uh, in my career, coming from a very poor family, I played with every president, prime ministers, royal family uh, uh, in the villages of Africa, uh, the villages of India traveled more miles than any human being that ever lived. It's been an education. It's taught me so many vital things in life, like respect for people. Today, you know, if you're a Trump fan, they want to fight you. If you're a Biden fan, they want to fight you. You know, why can't you have your opinion? Uh, if you, you know, whatever you decide on, it's fine with me. And I have respect for your opinion because I can learn something that I didn't know. And so, but... We live in a very strange world today, and people do not want to exercise. I mean, you take the greatest country there ever existed on the planet is the United States of America, but they're not interested in health. They don't worry about their bodies. I mean, you might have 1%. I don't know what the exact figures are, but if you have 1% of America that exercise every day and worry about what they're eating and worry about how they're sleeping, uh, you know, there are four ingredients, I believe, for longevity. You've got to eat half as much as you do. Now, imagine telling an American that. It's impossible. Or a South African where I live. It's impossible. They all eat like it's the last supper. Might be the last supper. Number two, you've got to exercise every day. How many people do you think exercise every day? People that start, they say, oh, I exercise. I say, well, one year you won't be doing it anymore. And I'm right. Number three, laughter is the cheapest medicine in the world. It's for nothing. And yeah. it has the... the uh, the ingredients of youthful cells, the endorphins that I'm convinced that make you younger. When I think how I am at 86 compared to the average man of 86, it's pathetic. I mean, I would kill him in a fitness contest. Kill him. No, no chance for that, huh? No chance. And so, but it's 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 not luck. It's the residue of design. And so, and the other thing you've got to do, you've got to have unmeasured love in your heart. You can't have bitterness and revenge and hatred. And this is what Nelson Mandela. In South Africa, I spent three years with him. I cried every time I was with him. He was so full of love and forgiveness and had no hatred. That's how, and he wanted to, we have a thing, a Zulu name in South Africa called Ubuntu. means bring people together. Well, they're not exactly doing that now, and he'd be turning in his grave. But Martin Luther King did that. Mahatma Gandhi did that. Churchill did that. Churchill, still probably the greatest leader the world's ever seen, 
You know, you talk about September 11, which was a dreaded time. He had it every two weeks. And Dunkirk, the speech he had to give to, to the English at Dunkirk just to keep them going, yeah. How about Normandy? You know, you hear these young people today in America, they don't understand what freedom means. They really don't. The, the students of America are quite naive compared to, say, Britain or Singapore or South Africa. Our students are way more advanced. They know more about world affairs. They talk a lot about socialism. Let me take them to countries that have practiced socialism. Cuba, Zimbabwe, Venezuela, etc., etc. They come back here and kiss the ground. Right. Americans don't realize how lucky they are to live here. They really don't. They are. And you gave some great pointers about um, the importance of diet, the importance of exercise. Every amateur golfer, the one thing they have in common, I would say, with pros like yourself, is they have to get to the course and warm up. Everybody's got to go to the range. Everybody's got to go to the practice screen. So for you... What is the right mentality and the right approach for these amateurs when they get to the course? Well, that's interesting. I mean, this morning they asked me to hit the opening tee shot of the tournament. I got here just, just after six this morning to hit one shot. I mean, I'm not going to play around a golf, but I still went to the practice tee in the dark. Of course, yeah. you hit them very well in the dark. You never hit a bad shot. <laughs> and I hit balls to get prepared for that. They get to play around a golf. They rush out from the office. They get on the first tee and they play lousy golf the first six holes and they play well. They say, why is that? Of course, your muscles, I mean, every single athlete of prominence exercises profusely and stretches before they play. And yet a businessman or some lady comes out and plays golf and expect to play golf without loosening up. You can't do that. Some people can. They've got bodies. Everybody's got a different body. And you've got to learn to know your body. You've got to learn to know what you must eat and what you mustn't eat. And so all these things, people have got to sleep well. I'm a, I can sleep eight hours, I can sleep nine hours, I can sleep 11 hours if I want to. That builds your immune system. So we're going through, for me, for me, fascinating times, because I'm 86, and I tell people, I'll ask you the question, if I said you could live to 86 years of age, would you take it or not? I, I'd take it right now. I don't sleep as much as you do. <laughs> but you're very smart. You, you, that means you, you're not going to have a car accident. You're not going to get cancer. You know, we worry about COVID, which is something to worry about. But what about cancer? Heart attacks and diabetes are way more serious. But not much effort is worried about that. So, you know, all these things you've got to do to stay well is important. And your body, the best way I can explain it with any significance your body is a holy temple, and you've got to try and teach us that. If you have the choice, you have the free choice of choosing whether you want to or not. And I tell you what, some people are finished when they're 50. They're so overweight. I'm in the racehorse business. You cannot put weight on a horse and expect it to beat another horse. Weight stops a train, and we're not teaching that in the schools. We've got to teach people not to put on weight. At the moment, I'm carrying... I think eight pounds too heavy. People don't notice it, but I know it. Yeah. The secret, the big secret to longevity, never mind what doctors and diets and people tell you, if you can get to 60 years of age and weigh less than you weighed in your prime, you're going to live a long time. That's the yeah. secret, to keep that weight down. But man, alive. You sit in an airport and see people, <laughs> I want to tell you. It's, it's like old man river rolling along. All right. But you, you, you've also said well, too, that in the past when you're drinking some of your smoothies, your fruit, and your vegetables, when you know the good that it does to you, it tastes that much better. You've made that point before, too. So that's, that's important, too, psychologically for these Americans or these um, 
people in this 21st, 22nd century that they need to understand. Give it a shot, right? Try to eat better. Try to drink better, right? So tough because mothers give their children a soda and a, and, a, and, a, and a hamburger or a, give them a soda and a, what's, what are those little things called? Donuts. Give them a donut and go to school. I mean, they just poisoning them kids. Why don't mothers learn what to feed their children? Uh, my legacy, I, I don't believe in legacies for a start. Uh, you take Winston Churchill. I mean, when you think that he and Roosevelt saved the world. We, if it wasn't for them, we wouldn't be sitting here today. But how many people know them? How many people have read about them? Maybe Americans, more Roosevelt. But people forget people. You've got to contribute to society while you're here. My legacy that I want to leave in the world and mainly in America, because I love America so much. I'm so grateful for what America has done for me, my family, and as Samaritans to the world. Mm. My legacy is look after your body. Look, it's a holy temple. Try and eat properly. Try and exercise. All these things are important, but they don't teach it in the schools. And the mothers, they feed them junk. They feed them junk. I mean, I, I, this, and you've got to find out what your body is good for. I love ice cream. I love bacon. I haven't had a piece of bacon and an ice cream for 25 years because when I had them, they made me feel nauseous. So I stopped having them. Now, that's not easy. So the only way I could stop is that I swear to God I'll never have another piece of bacon or ice cream, which I never have. Now, not everybody's got to do that, but you've got to find out what you, your mm. body will tell you what you mustn't have. Mm. Well, you just mentioned history, too, looking back on, on, on um, Mr. Churchill and some of those leaders. When you think about history in golf, one of the big events that people really think about is the Masters, and you're so intertwined with that. Of the, when you look at players who have not yet won a green jacket, which ones really come to mind that you think, wow, these guys, or this player really should should get it done soon? Well, the most prevalent name that comes to mind that never won the Masters is Lee Trevino. Lee Trevino hits the ball better than anybody playing golf today. Hogan was the best. I never saw anybody hit the ball. And nobody playing golf today. And they all talk about how much better they are today than yesterday. They did that every century. Every time, well, every era, they said, oh, we're better than the last lot. But nobody plays as well as Ben Hogan did. Nobody playing today can hit the ball as well as Ben Hogan, and nobody playing today can hit the ball as well as Trevino. Mm. Now, I'm not saying they couldn't score as well, because these guys and we never played on greens like this in our life. We never played on anything near the condition. The condition of the bunkers is better. The condition of the fairways. There were spike marks on the green, 100 spike marks on every green. So you can't compare eras. You can only say somebody was best at that particular time. But I never saw anybody swing the club like Hogan. Mm. Or, and he was the only man that I saw that was better than Trevino from tee to green. So, you know, we've got to have respect for many, many, many people in the past as well as the present and the future. Mm. And what we haven't seen, you must remember this, that now we've got DeChambro, who's taken... I started weight training in golf with Frank Stranahan. They called me a nut. I said there was going to be a man at 50 win a major. You're talking hogwash. Now I'm telling you they're going to be a man at 60 when they're the, a major because with stem cells coming along in the future, it's going to make people younger and they're going to realize that they eat junk, they live on junk, and they're going to learn the longevity of life. And so, and then you haven't had a big man play golf yet. Wait until you get a LeBron James come out or a Michael Jordan with those big bodies and play golf. They're going to hit the ball 500 yards. And this is what our leaders in golf are not aware of at the moment. They don't want to think about it. They've got to have vision. They're going to drive the first green at Augusta. I mean, 
what's going to happen to this game? It's uh, I don't. They've got to slow the ball down for professionals. Leave it as it is for amateurs. But for professionals, they've got to slow the ball down 50 yards. Why go spending all these enormous sums of money changing golf courses, making them longer? That means more water. We're running out of water in the world, my friend. By the year 2025, a young man like you finds it hard to understand. But by the year 2025, the world will be short of 25% of water. I'm staying in a hotel right now. The Hilton, I'm staying here, they don't even have a plug in the basin. So you're shaving and the water's just roaring out like this all the time. They're not, it's really, it's, it's unforgivable. It's unforgivable that you should do that. We've got to watch water. You've got people in America today carrying buckets of water to their houses. People forget about this. In the world today, Australia, South Africa, the world, they're running out of water big time. And so even in Florida, you can have a drought and you've got to watch water. So you've got to be very careful. I know we've covered a lot of topics, but I've, I'm a man of 86 years of age and I've had the experience and the knowledge and the education on these subjects of which I'm immensely grateful for because education is the light and we need leaders to enforce this. Yeah, they need to be in place. Whatever your leadership is, whether it's politics, whether it's uh, marriage, whether, how many young people do they, how long do they stay married for? Five, ten years? Gone. Man, I was <laughs> with my like wife, that, yeah. she just died recently. I was with her for 72 years. 72 years. I mean, and you've got to teach people how to be married. You need guidance in everything in life. I told my wife, every day I loved her, she told me every day she loved me. So you can either join and stay joined or separate. I tell you, the number of children today that get divorced after five and ten years, it's scary. It's mm. absolutely scary. Marriage is not the, the honor, the, the oath that you take. It's broken. Yeah. They've got geese in South Africa called the Egyptian geese. When they get married, they're there forever. Just like that. You call yourself the most well-traveled man in the world. Of all the rounds of golf you've played, what's been the most fulfilling or memorable round? That's very difficult to answer. I was playing in the British Open, which is, the, to me, the most famous tournament in the world is the British Open because it's the test of the man's mind as well as his skill. There's no yardages. You hit a yardage maybe 150 yards, a sandwich. Tomorrow it's a three iron. So you can't look at your book and say, well, it's, I've got to hit this or that. I know when I play golf in America, if it's 150 yards, I know it's a seven iron. I don't even have to go and look. I just look, give me the club. I know it's that's the yardage. If you, my caddy says 150, I know it's a seven. England might be a two iron, might be a three iron, might be a sandwich. And then you've got to be careful. You don't feel sorry for yourself because golf is not like tennis. Tennis is my favorite sport to watch. But when Djokovic plays say Nadal right. they play the same conditions do you know I was here today and I explained to the people when you play at a golf tournament particularly the British Open it's sunny in the morning no wind the afternoon the rain comes up and the wind comes up and Tiger Woods shot 81 oh and then oh, oh two yeah at, yeah at Muirfield mm -hmm. so golf just you're playing against 156 people not one on one same condition. Do you know this morning I pointed out, when I arrived here at 6.30, the fairways were white with dew. So they tee off at 7. They're playing on wet fairways. You can't spin the ball. The greens are slower. The bunkers are more wet. Now comes this afternoon. The little wind comes up. You had to drive in a wedge in the morning. Now you had to drive in a 7-iron. The golf course is not. When you, people say, well, it's the same for everybody. No, it isn't. 
When you play a golf tournament, that golf course is different. The greens have got more indentations. The bunkers are not quite as smooth. The fairways have grown a bit. The greens have grown a little bit. It's a different game. Golf is the most difficult sport. And I was a four-letter man at college. Golf is the most difficult sport. Mm. All other athletes come into golf say, oh, the most tough sport. Mm. It really is. Many different conditions that you face. For you, many different friends, I'd imagine, you've met over the years. It's amazing how golf really brings so many people together. What, which ones come to mind the most to you when you think about the friendships of golf? Well, I'll come back to that, but you asked me uh, the most enjoyable win I had or round. Well, I was playing against Nicholas in the British Open at, at Carnoustie, which is probably the toughest golf course in the world. And the, I was, there were five of us within one shot. And Nicholas was one behind me. We came to the Spectacles, which is a par five with big bunkers, looked like like glasses. And the wind was blowing in my face, and I hit a three-wood six inches from the hole. Can you imagine at a time like that, which enabled me to go on and win? Then I come to Augusta. I'm seven behind Tom Watson, and I shoot 30 on the back nine, and I win. And the next week I go to La Costa, and I'm seven behind Ballesteros and shoot 65 in the wind and rain and beat him. And the next week I go to Houston and that big redneck Andy Bean, he is now six shots ahead of me. And he comes to me, he says, you little sawn off South African runt. You're not going to beat me today. I said, of course I'm not going to beat you. I shot 64 and beat him. So I ran and grabbed him by the neck and I pulled him down like that. He's six foot two. I said, don't you ever talk to me like that again. I'll slap you around. Then I ran like crazy to get away from him. But... <laughs> You see, golf, you never lost until it's... I, but we still fall into the trap. The media do it every time. Oh, he's four shots ahead. He's five shots ahead, he'll win. No, no, I don't care if you're eight shots ahead, you might not win. Look at Greg Norman did right. in Augusta. With, 96. Uh, with Nick Felder. So, really, uh, if you said to me, where would I like to play my, if I had one choice, my last round of golf, I'd take St. Andrews. Not because wow. it's the best golf course, because it's a home of golf. Through golf, what it's done for me in my life and for people, it's changed their lives, man. It's taken poor people like me and made me reasonably rich and to win 18 majors and 165 tournaments and play golf with every president, prime ministers, royal family, visit the poor villages of Africa and India. What, an, what a journey. You can't get that in other sports. It's, it's, it's a journey beyond one's comprehension mm. but but St Andrews would be my last place because it's the home of golf you know Arnold Palmer and I went out one night at 10 30 at night we thought we'd just go and play a few holes right. there were 5,000 people there on the third hole 5,000 with their dogs of course it's a it's not a dog's paradise there's no place to pee there you know there's no trees so they were in trouble but anyway we had a marvelous time Arnold Jack and I traveled the world together and we, pro we promoted golf big time, and which is, as I come back to, my legacy is, is not golf tournaments that I won. It's what I left behind as a contribution to society. In the end. In the end. Yeah. Right. So because you're not going to remember people. They're going to forget everybody. Even Winston Churchill, if you went to an American college today, throughout America, and said, who is Winston Churchill? The most famous leader that probably ever lived, you might have 25, you might, you might have 20, 25% of people that'll know him. So we're kidding ourselves when we think that our names are going to last. Yeah, that's, that's conceit. You die, you get the hell out of here, you go to another place. Probably they've got, I sent Arnold Palmer an SMS in heaven the other day. I said, listen, 
I want you to make sure there's a gym there because you always told me not to do gym work. And I said, make sure there's a Gary Player design golf course. Bam, came back, said, no, it's got to be an Isle of Palmer course. I said, all right, but maybe you'll exercise in this next world. Of course. <laughs> well, you mentioned Arnold. So you played with him. How late did that round go? 10.30 at night on the third hole. You got yes. 5,000 people. So how, how long do you play? You can play till 11.30, 12 o'clock at night in Scotland. You know? <laughs> so I played there. I'll never forget that. The first time I played at St. Andrews. And I had a caddy called Jock McTavish. And I got him the 18th hole. And he caddies every day. Little tie, little Scottish hat. Plays 18 holes, goes home, has a little drink and a sleep. Comes back another 18, three hours max. Sometimes two hours, 50. Now we're playing in the open. It's taking five hours. And we're on the 18th tee. And he's irritated walking up and down the hill. So I thought I'd break the tension. I said, hey, Jock, how long has that house been on the hill? He says, I don't even know. It wasn't there when we started. He got so frustrated, he couldn't stand the slow play. And then that same tournament, the practice round, the wind was blowing right to left, strong wind, and I hit this bad hook, and it went 100 yards from the hole. But I'm on the green. Now, imagine a green over 100 yards long. I said, hey, Jock, can you give me a line? He says, no, I can't give you a line, but I can give you a yardage. (laughs) So I've had some... Through the travels, and uh, I talk about St. Andrews and the RNA have done, as the USJ and the PGAs have all, you know, done a lot for golf, which we appreciate very much indeed. Well, you mentioned uh, the RNA and, and Scotland, Scottish folks, St. Andrews. I think of Renton Laidlaw, who just passed away, one of the great people, in uh, one of the great souls and spirits in, in our game. What do you miss about him passing now? Well, I knew Renton very, very well. I knew him for over 50 years. First of all, the most important thing, he was a gentleman and uh, very well spoken, had a great command of the English language, which I admire. I think athletes are renowned as not great orators. And if I was a manager of an athlete today, I'd insist that he reads and learns to speak well. Because marketing yourself, I make more money today at, at 86 than when I was world champion because I know how to market myself and I know how to handle people and I give them love and I, and I take an interest in them. There's nothing like golf. I, I could give you so many examples. I could talk to you for a month on golf, really. It's just the most extraordinary game. But Renton, he contributed to society. See, in his, in his, in his last, we call it a last, that's your last. That means whatever your business is, he contributed to it won't be long before he's forgotten as well, understandably so. Yeah. <laughs> We're all going to be forgotten. Don't ever be conceited to think people are going to live, remember you forever. They're not. Another recent topic in the news, the driver, 48 inches to 46, limited by the USGA. Any um, thoughts on that? Very bad idea. Very bad idea because what's going to happen when you've got a man like LeBron James? Let's say you get a man who's six foot eight, seven foot playing golf. You're going to tell him he's got to use a 45-inch drive? It's like a toothpick, right? It's like a toothpick. He's got to bend down on his knees to hit it. No, no, that's wrong. It's the same thing as they stopped the, the anchored putter. For professional golf, stop it. Any anchoring. I don't believe that you should be able to put the club on your elbow either. That's anchoring. That's just my opinion, not to say I'm right. But don't make a length of a driver because you can, the big men are coming. And you're going to have toothpicks in the hand. Stop the ball. If you want to have something done, stop the ball from going that far. Then you get the golf manufacturer say, oh, we don't want to do that. We lose our business. No. 
the people that advertised and promote the most will always sell the most balls. Doesn't matter where how far it goes. But leave everything for the amateur. Let the amateurs have an anchored putter. A guy has the yips. He's hating the game. He gets the putter anchored. He's loving the game. Now you make him go away and he gets the yips again. He leaves golf. So we've got to let the amateurs do what they like. But the pros, no anchoring whatsoever and cut the ball back 50 yards. We got it solved because it's the expense of water, fertilizer, machinery. People have no idea what a mower costs on a golf course. It's hundreds of thousands, man. You want it to be sustainable, too. Yes. And so rather channel your energies in the right direction. Think about this. This explains it appropriately. The amount of money that's been spent on changing golf courses in the world. Okay. If you cut the ball back, it would have done it by itself. I know that's a cheap way of doing it. But they've spent hundreds of hundreds of millions of dollars around the world changing golf courses unnecessarily. Look at Augusta. Augusta, if they left the course as it was, but just cut the ball back, it would have been the same test throughout time. Instead of that, they spend tens and tens and tens of millions lengthening the golf course all the time, all the time. Where's it going to stop? Yeah, they lengthened number five is a couple years ago in 2019 when Tiger won. Yeah. The whole golf course. Number seven used to be a driver and eight. Now, now I'd have to, well, I mean, it's not fair to take me. But, I mean, the, the hole is 100 yards longer, you see. But the ball goes so much further, and the clubs hit the ball so much further. And a metal head, I mean, I'm at 86. If I miss two fairways in a day, I feel sick with myself at 86. In my prime, I miss three a day with that old wooden head and heavy shaft. Bobby Jones might be the greatest player that ever lived. He played with a walking stick. Think about it, a walking stick. Okay, and a ball that went 100 yards less. 100 yards. And do you know in 1927, Bobby Jones shot 285 at St. Andrews, and they never even changed the pin placement every day, and you raked the bunkers with your feet, and you had spike marks, and you had a roller mower that cut the green with your hands. You cut it with your hands. With it. You had to pull it and push. Now you sit on the machine. Zzz, 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 zzz. I mean, it's unbelievable when you look back in the past and you think how Bobby Jones played. I'll let you out of, here, out, of, out of here on this one. Um, when you look at this next year, what's a player that you really think is going to do well uh, on the men's side in the majors? Well, I think John Rahm is the best player in the world right now. It's always very difficult to make predictions about golfers. You find somebody come out of the woods, some guy who's just been very average, and he finds something in the swing, and he comes out. If Jordan Spieth can get his swing right, He's got actually, he's got four faults in his swing. In my, this is my humble opinion. I'm such an admirer of Jordan Spieth. Jordan Spieth is one of the, there are probably three or four players that have got it. It. Not many, I've only seen more than 20 players in my lifetime that have got it. Jordan Spieth has got it. He's the best wedge player in the world. He's the best chipper in the world. He's the best putter in the world. He's the best bunker player in the world. This man is a genius. It's a good start. From 100 yards. If he gets his swing right, he'll go to number one. He'll go to number one. No question. Because this, and I love him. He's an all-American guy. He's a good man, looks after his family. But I get very frustrated every time I watch him play. And I shouldn't because I don't really know him. But I do because I see the potential in him. He's the Severiano Ballesteros of America. Mm. You know? Hits the ball in a lot of different places, but still scores. People love to see that. Huh? Resilient player. They love to see it. I love to watch Jordan. 
you think he's out of the hole and he beats you. And the same with uh, De Chambre. Very exciting to see what he's doing with hitting these balls, these prodigious distances. It's very exciting. And uh, it's, not, it's not the answer, but it's, uh, and it's not a necessity to hit the ball a long way, but it's a help. It's an, it's an advantage. Uh, what wins golf tournaments is Jordan Spieth is showing us. It's right in front of our eyes. The man has really won three majors, I think. And chipping, putting, bunker shot, wedges, the mind, having it. That's what counts. But they brainwashing youngsters. And the TV and every media, all they talk about is long hitting. That's not what wins tournament, guys. They don't know because they've never been in the damn arena. They're on the outside giving an opinion. But what wins tournaments? Look at Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson. They were not good drivers of the ball. Number one and two in the world. Why? Putted so well. I hold so many putts, I never grew. I couldn't grow anymore. I was always bending down. <laughs> at that point, good for you. Gary Player, it's been great spending time with you and enjoyed it very much. Enjoy your travels uh, from here. So, thank you. Yours. Yay. All right, there's nine-time major champion Gary Player on the podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed it. I liked some of his stories there. Of course, he went into detail a little bit about St. Andrews, which I was really impressed with because obviously we got the Open coming up, 150th Open Championship coming up this summer there. So really cool stories. I didn't even realize that they were out late at night, him and Arnold Palmer uh, playing out there in the dark pretty much uh, in Scotland uh, one year during the Open Championship uh, with fans everywhere. So pretty cool to hear some of these stories. There's so much from Gary Player. But anyway, hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, I thought there was a lot of cool things uh, in the podcast this week. And you can see some stuff on Twitter at Jonathan Garrett and at Beyond Clubhouse. I'll be posting stuff throughout the week, a little bit more of the sound bites from this interview with Gary Player. So anyway, we'll catch up soon here on Beyond the Clubhouse.